This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Unquirking Your Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Meg Stafford. Meg is a writer who loves exploration of all kinds, and this time she takes us all along for the ride. I just butchered that. Let me just redo that. <laughs> this happens all the time, and I don't know why. I think it's because I've got Super Bowl brain going on right now, um, <laughs> which doesn't help. Pretty fun. <laughs> there we go. Take two. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Meg Stafford. Meg is a writer who loves exploration of all kinds, and this time she takes us along for the ride. For 25 years, she's been observing how small, remarkable moments enrich our lives in her monthly newspaper column, A Moment's Notice. As a social worker in private practice, she's been helping others negotiate the terrain of relationships and connections for over 35 years. Her 2011 memoir, Topic of Cancer, Riding the Waves of the Big C, won six literary awards for its engrossing and hilarious portrayal of surviving and thriving after a life-altering diagnosis of breast cancer. She joins me today to talk about her life and latest book, Who Will Accompany You? My Mother-Daughter Journeys, Far From Home and Close to the Heart. Welcome to Uncorking Story, Meg. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, but Meg, I'm going to start with the question I ask everybody as we begin, which is, Meg, where does your story as an author begin? I would say that it it began probably when I was really, really little, like like three years old. I would make these little tiny books that I would tape together um or staples together and they'd be really simple and my my mom used to pride herself on the fact that she did not direct me and did not direct my spelling so i just wrote out whatever whatever i could and i used to write these little stories all the time and i was always interested all throughout um throughout my schooling but it wasn't until i started writing the columns when I was actually in my 20s that I would say that my writing became more focused and published. Yeah. So I was doing that for a number of years. And I don't know that I would have um, aimed to write a book, except that during my experiences with breast cancer, I was writing to an email distribution list and people started giving me feedback that they we're learning what other people might have gone through, but didn't talk about, or that I, there's a lot of jokes in there. They 
they missed it when I wasn't writing and that I should get it into book form. So um, I did that. And that sort of got me more thinking about um, about writing as really being a writer. It really yeah. is so much a part of me that it's something I have to do. I love to do. So, and this is, this, this one is the second one on my writing journey. So. Well, tell please. me, do, do you have any of those things that you were writing when you were three years old? Did your mother save any of those? Um, I saved a few of them in a little, in a little box. I am not certain where it is at the moment, but I definitely <laughs> think I could go back and, uh, and uncover them. But I remember one was, something about my big red bed and like it rhymes and it's uh there it's fun it's fun to go back and so, so you always had a, a writer inside of you but it, it only kind of went in, in your adult years it, it came out it sounds like a little bit later after you started writing this column how did you get how did you land this column i mean it doesn't sound like you have a journalist a journalistic background how did you land this column in the newspaper uh i decided that I wanted to, I actually worked with um, a career coach for a little while and it became clear that writing was really important to me. And I was living in Somerville, Mass at the time. And I just approached the editor of the Somerville Journal and asked if I could write an, an op-ed, an editorial piece. And I essentially got carte blanche from there. So my first piece really dates me, was about getting an answering machine. And <laughs> that was like, so, uh, and then my next one, so I was, I was in my mid twenties, mid, mid to late twenties. The next one was about, um, I had received in the mail a flyer for prepaid funeral arrangements. If you're a shut in. And I just thought it was hilarious because it was the furthest thing from my mind. And so I wrote a piece about that. And then I ended up also writing a factual piece about it but i could write about whatever i wanted and so they would they would print whatever i wanted and then when i moved out um to the to the suburbs i live in littleton mass now uh, i approached my local paper here and they essentially did the same thing and i was writing for a, a few other places as well so it's been a wonderful forum for me to write about my thoughts about a lot about parenting i've been reviewing them lately, but about feet, about getting a pedicure, about uh, some political things, some uh, about music that I had been to hear. So it's been great to be able to write and get feedback from people. Yeah, I, I do believe that like the writer's superpower isn't, you know, their ability to to pick out the exact right word or even put words on the page, but those things are important. Don't get me wrong. But I think the real superpower is just, just having an experience or, or seeing something and then feeling compelled to write about it in a way that's interesting or motivating to somebody else. Like I think writers see the world slightly differently than most other people. So an experience that somebody has that they totally would forget about, you know, seeing somebody on the train, do something on the morning commute, you know, might might take the writer down like a completely different path um, mm -hmm. and turn that into something interesting. I mean, I, I did that for, for years with with my own blogs. Um, and I think that's it's, it's such a cool place to start uh, kind of your it's your writing fun. career. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's been an awesome outlet. Yeah. 
So, so I know we're going to talk about the new book, but take me back to that first book, Topic of Cancer. Um, because now, was this the first time you ever thought to yourself, "Hey, I'm going to write like a like a full length book"? Uh, yes, and in fact, with both of these, had each book had very different processes, and the next book will have uh, yet another different process. But because uh, the book was a lot written by the time I got to the idea of publishing it, excuse me, because they were, um, and the book really follows along in journalistic and journal form. But I first sent it to an editor to say, this was written for, it was a growing list of, it got up to about 80, 80 or 90 people, but they were people had some direct connection with me. So I had to make sure, would this be interesting to someone else and she came back with a, a with a green light so um i decided to get it into book form and ultimately self-published because um i was getting a lot of encouragement but i wasn't getting an offer and i needed to get it out there and so um i went the self-publishing route and i'm i'm really glad because it 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 gave me the room to be able to focus on other things and i was working at the same time as I am now. So um, as a psychotherapist, my, my other job, Yeah. but it's, um, but I was really thrilled to get it out there. Cause I got a lot of feedback, both from people who had gone through treatment and also a lot from people who either knew people or um, who have had family members or relatives, friends who had gone through it and, um, weren't sure how to be helpful, but that's one of the things that it addresses is ways to really, really be helpful to people who are going through treatment. So, and it, and as I said, it is really full of jokes and the quirky things. And um, if you're not okay with puns, stay away from that book. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of them. It was just whatever was happening in my mind at the, at the time including my daughters were in seventh and 12th grades. And so there was stuff happening with them and it's, it's all sort of in there. It's just, it was a part of my life. It never defined my life. Yeah. Um. So you, you self-published that first one, what this, this one that we're talking about today, was this self-published as well? Or did this, the, the more... okay. so this is with, with uh, Greenleaf and uh, I, I had approached a number of, places uh, but I chose them because they really understood what I was looking to do I had one offer from uh, a publisher who said well you can we can get this into one voice because I include both of my daughter's voices in each of the sections and that was really that was important to me because I wanted to go back and forth between each of our perspectives so I knew that they weren't going to be right because they were not understanding where I was coming from, but, but Greenleaf totally embraced it and um, were a really wonderful partner to work with. Yeah. It sounds like they shared more of your, your vision as an author than, than yes. perhaps the other one. Um, well, tell me, what can you share with us about who will accompany you? My mother daughter journeys far from home and close to the heart. Right. So this was inspired initially by a trip that I took with my younger daughter when she was 17 and doing her senior project for school. And she was doing it on the question, what is happiness? Small topic. 
uh, but decided that she wanted to study meditation in Buddhism at a monastery in Kathmandu. And uh, we decided that we couldn't just pop her on a plane to the other side of the world and say, <laughs> I hope someone picks you up. And so uh, I took that as an opportunity to go too. And I trekked to the Annapurna base camp while she was studying meditation at the monastery. And uh, my first idea for the book was to go back and forth between each of our perspectives, because even though she was sitting meditating formally i wasn't sitting i was trekking but it was very meditative because it was early in the season and we were spending lots of hours by ourselves or on our own um and then i realized that i it wasn't enough and my older daughter uh, went to the country of colombia and spent a year and a half there as an observer witness and I went to visit her for a week and I really, it felt really important to include her journey and our time together there. And so that's the second portion of the book where she lived in the far Northwestern corner of the country for nine months and then in Bogota for nine months. But I visited her there where it was a 45 minute open air Jeep ride and an hour and a half hike to get to the community that she was living in. So it was really an experience to, to visit. Um, and then the last section is called home and it's about where does my husband fit in? How do we come to travel? It sort of, it ties it all together. And a lot of people like that as well. So your, your younger daughter was the one who went to Kathmandu. Correct. Uh, now was that part of a high school experience? Uh, that she created. Okay. So, they both went to a charter school, public charter school nearby, and they have a senior project, which takes most of the year. And there's a research portion of it. There is a presentation part, part of it, a community service part of it. Uh, but they encourage kids, if they want to, to spend time off campus. So it's it's encouraged to travel and she took that as an opportunity to go somewhere really far which was part of the challenge for her to go somewhere new and uh and unexplored because our older daughter had already spent time in costa rica and a semester in chile and argentina um and so our younger daughter was wanting to explore as well yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, like I, I got to go to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> That's a trip. I went there in, in college and didn't move here until uh, graduate school. But yeah. yeah. Um. Well, what I, I mean, as as you know, kind of going through these writing journeys and writing now two full length books, and it sounds like there's a third in the works. What have you learned about yourself Um. kind of going through these these writing projects? Hmm. Uh, that I can't do it by myself. That's always a big one because it's like, I want to do everything by myself. <laughs> but it's probably my biggest takeaway during my whole cancer experience and the writing of the book was that I can't do it by myself. And that not only is it important to let other people in, but it, it makes it possible. And that I want to to honor and appreciate all the help. 
but absolutely in the writing process, uh, the editing help is really key. In the first book, I needed help to, to know what else needed to be put into it so that people could understand the setting and the background and what else do you need to know about me or my family for it to make sense. And with this one, because it was like putting together a mosaic because I needed to balance my younger daughter's voice and mine in the first section and then my older daughter's voice and mine in the second section. Um, and it was tricky to do that. So um, so I, that's one thing is learned that I, I, I need help to do it well, which is important. Also, um, this was not new news to me, but patience, not my longest and strongest suit. <laughs> like <laughs> I want it to happen now. I want it to get rolling. And uh, some things just can't be pushed or rushed. And that's, that's, um, that's a really important lesson for me always to know that things will get there in the time that they need. And there's only so far that I can move it at any one given time. So, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there from people who have not written a book, you know, um, that writing is this solitary process where you are kind of locked away in a cabin for six months or 12 months or however long it is. Right. And then all of a sudden your book comes out, but the, the collaboration, you know, required during the writing process is, I mean, it's really tremendous between, you know, working with editors, publishers, maybe beta readers, if that's the case, right. Um, going through different rounds of editing, you know, really is a, a, a collaborative process, probably more so than people think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, design. I mean, th this is the cover, yeah. uh, which I, uh, I love the designer who I worked with from the, from the Greenleaf team who presented me with five different options and uh this was the one that I chose, but we continued to tweak it. I had some ideas about part of the way that it was, uh, part of the way it appeared that I wanted to change. And she she did that, but like that didn't quite do it. And But I added one little piece at the bottom. But uh, so there are lots of aspects that require other people. Thank goodness. Mm. But you're right. <laughs> some parts are solitary, but a lot. Oh, it, absolutely. I mean, there is that there is a big chunk where you're just kind of by yourself with your thoughts and your your planning and your writing and you're doing all that. But it it nothing comes together to get published without without a, a collaborative effort. Yeah, lots of lots of other eyes on it. You know, another, another thought I have, um, you know, you are a therapist, you work in private practice. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you've been doing this for over 35 years. Have you found <laughs> it's probably scary to hear that number, right? It's scary. Right? <laughs> but have, have you found that writing is therapeutic for you? Absolutely. And that's where with my first book, um, it, I needed to write to, to get it out of my system in when you're in the process of getting diagnosed um, for, for cancer or for many things, there are often many tests and many different kinds of visits that happen. And it was really important to me to be able to tell people about it who wanted to know. I was happy to tell people, but it made me nuts 
to repeat something over and over again. So it was really great for me to like have a, a an appointment and then be able to write about it and and send it out. And um, some people would write back. Some people would write back like almost every time. There were people who never wrote back. There were people who read every word. There were people who would skim it. And like all of it was fine, but it was important for me to get it out because then I was never sitting with it. If it was funny, I put that out there. If it was upsetting, I put that out there. So the book really is a reflection in real time of what it was like to go through that process, but absolutely uh, therapeutic. But even I went to an amazing concert on Saturday night and it it blew my mind and I knew that I had to write about it. Just it's a way for me to absorb an experience no matter no matter what it's like. So um and it's fun to when people write back or one of the uh I wrote about a concert that I went to a, a few months ago and sent it to Groton Hill. It's a new place near us that will be like Tanglewood. But um I sent it to them. They posted it on their, on their Facebook page and a violinist from the orchestra who plays there, excuse me, contacted me and asked if I would attend a concert of hers that is in preparation for a a festival that she creates for people who don't have the money to fund themselves. So it was really exciting that that came out of it. No, that's so cool. That's so cool. So it sounds like it was some kind of classical music. Uh, <clears throat> um, the first one was the one the other night was a jazz pianist named uh, Matthew Whitaker, who just blew our minds. It, it's he's 22. And uh, so this was the first time that we had heard him or her, I had, didn't know of him except looking on their site. Uh, and he just has so much joy and energy. He's a prodigy, but his facility with the instrument, he had a, he was playing on a grand piano with an electric keyboard above it and an organ uh, behind him so that he could just pivot in his chair. And he was playing on all three and he had four other pieces, but uh, so some jazz standards, some compositions of his own, but the exuberance that he played with just was infectious and just made you happy to be at the performance. And so uh-huh. like I had to get that out. I had to get it down while I was still responding to it and feeling it. Yeah, I, I this past summer, I got to see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden yeah. and uh I like I like broke down crying at like three or four separate times during the show. Um, And and then I remembered that night I went back to I was I was um, staying in New York. I went back to my hotel and I just wrote about it. Uh Um, And it's because I needed to get it out. It's like just as those tears needed to come out, you know, I needed to get these words out and then I could sleep. You know, exactly. I wasn't sure that I, I wrote That's part of what I read. I wasn't sure I'd be able to sleep. Uh, I was and but had to write it the next day and it was the amount of energy that he uh, put out for that concert was just uh, I can't imagine 
the the level of um, well, just energy that it took, and and a lot for the audience to keep up. But I, I the same same thing. The next day, I had to get it out before I could do other things. Yeah. And that it's and that I I love I love that sometimes if I'm taking a long bike ride. I'm composing in my head uh, like it's it's and so by the time I get pen to paper which is typically the way I start um it's it's writing itself. Yeah, I mean writing doesn't always happen when you're in front of a screen or or writing, you know, on a on a pad of paper. It happens on long walks, you know, for me or or bike rides. Absolutely. You know, yep. for me it's long runs. Um you know, mm-hmm. I'll just start thinking about a scene in my head and then all of a sudden it'll just start kind of and my problem is if I'm on a long run I have no way to capture anything that I'm thinking so I have to hope that I remember it by the time I get back to my house I have not done this but because same if I'm riding 25 miles it's it's like I'm not going to be home for an hour and a half um people have said that people have suggested using notes the notes function on your phone if you have it with you it's that you could at least um record a few words if you carry your phone when you run right right um one more thing i want to talk about before i get to some fun questions is uh vulnerability and i mean you know about vulnerability how important it is especially in the therapy process right you you, you've Mm got to be vulnerable or you're not doing it right probably (laughs) but um (laughs) There, there's a certain amount of vulnerability in writing, especially what you're writing. I mean, you wrote a book about, you know, cancer. You're writing a book about these chips with your daughters. Um, you know, these are these are these are nonfiction. Um, and and of course, you might be worried. Hey, what do my what will my daughters think about these experiences that I'm writing about? Did that come into to play for you at all? Kind of thinking about your your daughter's reactions to, especially this latest book. Um, who will accompany you? Um, well, I certainly consulted them and wanted to make sure uh, that they were okay with everything that was in the book. And I had to prod them a little bit to, <laughs> to read through the whole thing. I mean, they they knew the material that I was using because Kate was keeping a journal while she was um, at the monastery and while we were in Bhutan. So she allowed me to use that. And Gail was writing emails home. And also she wrote a blog because she really needed to process that experience. So I used pieces of that. So they they knew what I was using. But also in the parts that I created, I wanted to make sure that they were okay with it. So they each had um, some small edits that I... Everyone I altered. Some were small points, but but it all matters. I wanted it to be well represented, so um, they they were okay with what whatever was uh, in the final version. Yeah. And then when I did the audio book, uh, I recorded the first one myself. Um, someone else recorded this one again. They gave me eight choices of um, of readers. And she asked pronunciation of some of the places that she that would be impossible to know otherwise. Uh, but then there were some of the Spanish ones that were not obvious that she didn't have right. But I wanted to go back to make sure that they were correct, like the places where Gail was living, uh, because again, it's about being respectful to the people involved. So. 
uh, it took a little bit of doing and paying attention, but we got there. You got there. You got there. Well, we got to the point in our show where we're asked some fun questions. Um, just uh, this is all in the line of uncorking your story even more. I do that uh, sometimes uh, in many ways through pop culture. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. Meg, when you were growing up, uh, what uh, were some of your favorite TV shows, if you had any? Uh, so I fortunately watched an interview <laughs> the other night. Oh, you cheated. Well, I, knew that I cheated. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> otherwise I might just be like, I don't remember. So I like jotted down a few of them from early on early. I loved the Adams family was a favorite. I used to be as a kid, I was annoyed. Uh, my dad was a musician and we would go to his classical concerts and it would mean pulling me away from the Adams family, which that was <laughs> not, I was not happy about that, which is pretty funny, but um, I loved uh, action, Mannix, the uh, Ironside, some of the mystery stories, the game shows, Jeopardy, Let's Make a Deal. Um, I, I love Dark Shadows when I was in grade school, some of that vampire stuff. And I was, I love to watch sports. Uh, That's something I would, would uh, enjoy watching with my dad, football, baseball, basketball, all, all of it. I was not a huge TV watcher, though. I was out on the tennis court. I was biking, uh, doing other stuff. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, like, mysteries and manics. What's your take, if you have one, on Columbo? Oh, he was fun. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that, was a, that was another one. That was uh, that that sort of the the intellectual mystery solver i, I yeah. love mysteries so watch I always, show. I always thought that was a cool show because you know most mysteries you know you don't know who does it until the end but with colombo they they tell you in the first like five or ten minutes who did it and then it's just the fun is watching him sort of that's figure funny. it out yeah yeah that's true i've forgotten that aspect always, of it but i always like that and and Adam's family over the monsters, I take it, right? I mean, Adam's family over the monsters, right? I did a little bit of monsters, but it really couldn't hold a candle. To no, no. I mean, it was like it, it, the way I think about it: if if the Adam's family was an Oreo, the monsters were the Hydrox, right? It's almost like the the knockoff. To the, uh. <laughs> and and it, it is quite possible that Hydrox came out first. I have no idea, but I'm just going by reputation here. Um, it's it's that's uh, a good way to think about it. <laughs> why well, I know it sounds like you're you're a music type person. Um, what what when you were growing up, what kind of music were you listening to? Um, so a lot. Well, the classical that my dad would play in, but he also was a jazz um, musician, and he started the jazz program where he taught at New Paltz College. So I grew up listening to Miles Davis and Oscar Peterson, Ella Fitzgerald, um, all Sarah Vaughan, all the jazz greats. But I also loved um, Steely Dan, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Elton John, the, the Taylors. I think the very first concert I went to was Livingston Taylor, who is James's brother and never, never uh, was as famous, but has also a very long career. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, all the uh, Bonnie Raitt, all the 
Yeah, all those like singer songwriter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So cool. I know, of course. <laughs> I know you mentioned Tanglewood. Uh, I know James Taylor. That's one of his uh, regular touring spots, if I'm not mistaken. Right. No, you're right. I have never seen him. I've never seen him live, actually, but I know that he plays there pretty regularly. I think that'd be a, a treat. One of the uh, one of the radio shows that I listen to often plays very unusual music. It's a jazz show, so they play some of the jazzier things that he um, has has sung, which is really interesting because it's it's just not the stuff that you tend to hear all the time. Yeah. So so I know you uh, you certainly have a career as a writer and as a therapist. What other uh, career hat would you like to try if if you could? Um, Any other career out there that you'd like to try? Ooh. Um, it's an interesting question because I, I often like to play the game with myself of would I, could, can I do that job? <laughs> and there are some that I know without a doubt that I am totally not only unqualified for, but unfit for. Uh, and then there are others that, oh, yeah, maybe I could do that if I had the training or had the time. And, um, and what would it be now? So I think journalism actually is one that I might want to, that I had, if I were to rewind, maybe I would have gone in that direction. And I've written a few pieces over the years, although uh, the the editorials, the op-eds are really the things that I, that's really my heart. I love yeah. doing that most. And that's my next book actually is going to be, uh, a compilation of the columns that I've written over the the last 35 years uh, with pieces to tee them up in between. So I'm, I'm working on that with my editor. Uh, but some of the other things, hmm. I mean, I love being outdoors. I don't know if I would ever have wanted to be a guide in for places, but um that's that's tough or if I would have ever done a professional sport I don't know that's it's an interesting interesting thought yeah um you know so you've got two books now uh it sounds like I mean you are working on a third um any any lessons about sort of writing you know these these bigger pieces um longer form content that you feel like you learned the hard way whether it's the the writing process or the publishing process um the publishing and the marketing process i think for me that's been the the toughest nut is even though they're they've both had some recognition um and awards that still is not the thing that gets it out there so i'm learning more about uh, that also takes patience and time and working with other people to find the ways that gets it into bookstores, into like, um, how do I set up things like this? How do I, um, what kind of help do I need to do that? Uh, so that part was, even with the first time around, knowing that that was true, I still underestimated the amount of effort that really needs to go into the 
um, publicity side of it. Because I, I still remember reading what someone wrote about, like, it, you could have a, a, a gem in a room, but if the room is dark, you can't see it. So what do you need to do to shine a light on something so that people know it's there so people know it's accessible yeah so. yeah you're you're so right you could have the the greatest book in the world but if you can't figure out a way to tell people that it exists then you know right <laughs> yeah it's true what are your favorite ways oh of getting the word out um you know uh gosh it's so funny i've spent 25 years working in marketing and i have the hardest time marketing my own work so hard, <laughs> but I mean, doing things like this, like just showing up on, um, on other people's podcasts is, um, is a great way of doing it. Um, and then honestly, since I I've got control over all of my, all, all of my work, I running promotions really does help. Um, huh. you know, price promotions yep. and then, and then yep. of course telling people that things are on promotion is very important too. Right. Um, That's <laughs> But that, I mean, that does it. And even just kind of running this show, I mean, you know, people, people come to listen to, you know, the authors talk, but then, yeah, they wind up at my website and, and see right. the stuff that I've done. So that, that helps. I mean, every, everything helps, but the, the, the headline is you have to do something. <laughs> you have to, right. you, you've got to, and it's, it's, it's constantly, you know, you constantly have to be doing something, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, something that you publish, you know, uh, this year, you know, helps move a couple of back catalog sales. Um, you know, and that, that, that certainly happens. That certainly helps, but, um, absolutely. Uh, some of the authors that I have met, uh, it may be uh, their most recent book, which I'm learning about, but absolutely when, if, um, if I enjoy it, I'm going back to read all their other stuff. Also. Yeah. It's cool when you get a, a comment like that on on Goodreads or an Amazon review or something where they say, "Wow, this is so great! I can't wait to read more of their stuff," um, which is a great compliment. Um, I know we are running out of time here. I do want to ask one final question for you, um, which is, if you can go back in time and uh, whisper some words of advice into you know, maybe it's that three year old who was writing her her books and binding them together. I'm picturing, you know, construction paper and yarn, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> what, what, a little, <laughs> what words of advice would you give the, uh, the younger Meg? Um, uh, definitely to keep doing it, to, to let it out, to, um, to make sure to, to give it the time that it needs and to, to stay with it to um, listen to the voice that has something to say and continue to encourage her to get it out there because it's, yeah. um, it is a very circuitous path to, uh, to getting it published, but it is worth it. That's and right. It's the, the satisfaction is tremendous. And um I love thinking about how far it could go and what people it might reach and um, and none of it would happen if it isn't out there. So just to perseverance, very big in the publishing world. Oh, yes. You mentioned it before. Perseverance, persistence. Um, those are, you know, two P's along with publishing. So there you go. Three P's. 
Uh, <laughs> did you come up with four? Peas in a pod. Three peas in the pod. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, Meg, tell me, where can people buy Who Will Accompany You, My Mother Daughter Journeys, Far From Home and Close to the Heart? On Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, the any of the the major platforms. All right. And if people want to learn more about you, do you have a website, social media so, handles you want to share? So www.megstafford.com is will take you right to my website and all my blog is on there. So lots of the pieces that I've written over the years are are there as well as www.whowillaccompanyyou.com uh, will take you right to this most recent book and provide links to get there. And um, Instagram is one of the things that I want to build up. <laughs> and <laughs> so Meg Stafford 2183 uh, and on Facebook, it's Meg Stafford. So very good, Meg. I will be sure to put all of that in the show notes for listeners to just uh, go on their phones or whatever they're listening to this on and uh, looking up those links easily enough. Uh, Meg, thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really great. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.